Welcome to the Big Book Roundtable and the RICO 12 family of recovery resources targeted at people from all backgrounds, faiths, and places dealing with addictions of all varieties. RICO 12 is also a resource for the loved ones of addicts. I'm Justin B., a child of an all-powerful and all-loving God and a multidisciplinary addict living in miraculous recovery here in uh, Spokane, Washington, and uh, I'm blessed to be the moderator, moderator of this roundtable. I am joined today by David G. and Nikki M., the three of us are living this miracle of recovery, working at one day at a time, and uh, really excited about doing this. I'm grateful to be the steward of the RICO 12 family of resources. And now let's step in here and have David and Nikki introduce themselves for just a second. David, why don't you start off and Nikki, you follow up right after him. Absolutely. Thank you, Justin, for your service as always. My name is David G. Everybody, I'm an alcoholic and an addict of many sorts. Grateful for a recovery date in Alcoholics Anonymous of August 8th, 1994, and in Sexaholics Anonymous of October 1st, 2019. Really good to be here. Thank you. Hi, family. I'm Nikki M., and I'm a grateful member of many fellowships, and I entered into these rooms on Valentine's Day 11 years ago. So I'll be here almost 12 years. I don't you know, every day I get a daily reprieve. I'm just so grateful to be here with you guys because uh, I can't do this life alone. And I'm grateful that I burned my life into the ground and found the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which will uh, give me instructions how to recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Thank you, guys. Thanks, David. Thanks, Nikki. Happy to have you here with me. And let's get into this uh into this roundtable today. Today, we're going to continue in our reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We've gotten through most up through most of the doctor's opinion. We're going to be finishing that up in the next episode or two, um, and we're going to read a little bit from page XXX. That's Roman numeral thirty, starting at the classification down through, and we're going to be reading about the classification of alcoholics. And I think this is a really important uh, topic that we're going to dig into here for this episode. I'm going to go ahead and start reading. And uh, and we will uh, pick up the discussion after that. Okay. The classification of alcoholics seems most difficult and in much detail is outside the scope of this book. There are, of course, the psychopaths who are emotionally unstable. We are all familiar with this type. They are always going on the wagon for keeps. They are over-remorseful and make many resolutions, but never a decision. There is the type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand or his environment. There is the type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. There is the manic depressive type who is perhaps the least understood by his friends and about whom an a whole chapter could be written. Then there are types entirely normal in every aspect in every respect except in the effect alcohol has on them. They are often able, intelligent, friendly people. All these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, which we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as, distinct, as a distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar, permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. This immediately precipitates us into a seething cauldron of debate. Much has been written, pro and con, but among physicians, the general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. 
there's a lot of heavy stuff in there and a lot of things that I identify with, but I'd like to talk a little or have each of you share a little bit of your, uh, the insights that you gained as you're reading through that. So what are some of the passages that stuck out to you and what background and information do you have? Let's start with you, David. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts on what we just read there. Yeah, absolutely, Justin. Always a beautiful part of the book that anytime I'm working a uh, sponsee through this part of the book, we like to look at this in the first person. Uh, and where you began there, you know, the classification seems to be di- difficult, you know. It only seems to be. It's not. It's pretty laid out right there. You know, it's going to lay out five different types. And the first, of course, are the psychopaths. Now, I never really considered myself a psychopath. Society did. They definitely did. But I never did. And so type one is the psychopath. But when he gives the definition of what that looks like, according to him, then I absolutely have to agree because he says they are emotionally unstable. Who are emotionally unstable? So if I look at my life and you know, I've definitely been emotionally unstable, not only out there, but in here as well at times until I found the big book and went through this process of work. And he says, you know, type two, or, you know, the type of man who's unwilling to admit he cannot take a drink. <clears throat> and I've been that man. He plans various ways of drinking, changes his vander, uh, brand or environment. Type three is the type who always believes after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take drink without danger. So believes become the key word for me there because after being entirely free, what would possibly make me believe that I could go back and do that again? And that's where I see that I really believe the lie and try to make it the truth, even after being sober for a little while. So it's so important that I don't only come here to get sober. Of course, that's, that's first and foremost, but I need to recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind. And that includes my beliefs, my ideas, my concepts, my perceptions, all of this stuff that I suffer from. This is what's wrong with me. The fourth, of course, is the manic depressant. He said, you know, whole chapter could be written. And then the fifth one, of course, is those entirely normal, never respect, except the effect that this has on them. But what stands out to me the most in this is in the next words. All these and many others have one symptom in common, not a bunch of symptoms, not a few symptoms. We got one symptom in common here. We cannot start. And that's the key word, start, without developing this phenomenon of craving. So if you've been sitting in the rooms for three or four months or a year or however long it is, and you feel like you're craving, that's your mind feeding you a bunch of crap because the book's very clear right here. We cannot develop that phenomenon of craving. We it doesn't start until we start drinking whatever that drink may be, lust or codependency or or whatever that drink may be, food. And so it sets us apart. And you know, my sponsor once told me in Alcoholics Anonymous, he said, David, God forbid everybody in the room take a drink tonight. And there were several of us in that room. He said, everybody mentally would react differently to this. One would want to fight. One would want to love on all the women. One would want to cry in their beer. One would this, that. He went on and on and on. He said, the mental obsession is not what makes us the same in these fellowships. It's this phenomenon of craving. And that never starts until you put it within your body, uh, whatever that may be. And so I've always remembered that. Uh, it says that the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And that's where most of us put up the fight and the resistance. We, we don't want to do that. So 
But I love it says the general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. And there again, it only seems to be that way. That's not the way it is. There is a solution. What's the next uh, four words at the top of the next page after he says they seem to be doomed? There's a solution here. And that's a pretty deep subject when we get to it. But there's five types of alcoholics this lays out. And although we're all different mentally in many ways, we have one symptom in common. We can't start that drink, whatever it may be, lust, whatever, without triggering this allergic reaction. So this is important information for me to uh, not only have, but to pass on to others as well. So thanks, Justin. Yeah, thank you so much, David. I really appreciate the the insights that you, the, that you showed into that reading. Nikki, what's your experience, strength, and hope on based on what we've read so far this today? Well, thank you. And I, and I always love following up after David because David hits every point and my, my, my book also has a one, two, three, four, five. And I'll just go through my experience, which is entire abstinence. It says there at the bottom, I'll start at the bottom. And my line out says from thinking, you know, what does that look like for somebody? Cause I mean, entire abstinence from drinking. I mean, that's black and white. You never drink again. If you're a drug addict, you never take those drugs again. But what about all the process addictions? I just go straight for thinking. And that's why, you know, I love my big book because it, it you know, it says in this book, we have a solution. And my line out here, when they're describing all the different types, it says, you know, my behavior patterns vary. And we'll read that on uh, later in the book where it says our behavior patterns vary. Because if you looked at me, I'm I'm normal in every aspect, you know, every respect, except in the effect. And right here, alcoholism, you know, alcoholism has on me. And, and I am, I'm often an intelligent, friendly person. You know, you would never know. And that, I really relate to that, especially in the process addictions, because especially it's very hidden in Al-Anon and as David said, like the codependency, because we're running around, or at least let me say, I'm running around like it's, look what I'm doing for you. But if you go further in the book, I'm the actor trying to run the whole show, forever trying to arrange everyone to suit my needs. So, you know, what does that look like if I'm to abstain from thinking. You know, my first thought I can't control that that's a given in this program, the first thought, but the second thought is literally what does my book say? Because, um, I am, I'm the psychopath too, you know, but I'm, I'm constitutionally capable. We'll, we'll later read about the psychopath who's constitutionally incapable of being honest. I'm capable of being honest. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of this. I'm a little bit country. I'm a little bit rock and roll. So I'm a little bit of all of these things, you guys. And I'm just grateful that it's laid out because everybody that when I was sponsored or when I take them through this, they can see themselves. And here's what it is too. It gives me a better overstanding of the people I love who are suffering from this disease. Now I understand What's wrong with the people that I love? You know, this this book is, it really explains because it says right here, there is never, and when I see the, the word never, it says it is never, there's never been any treatment where, where you know, permanently, because I'm looking for a permanent solution, 
permanently eradicated. The only relief, the only relief is entire abstinence from my crazy thinking. And how do I do that, friends listening? I I follow my instructions in my book. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki. Really appreciate that. You know, from what you both brought up, I've I've got a couple of questions here and I'll I'll share a little bit of my experience, strength, and hope and my thoughts on it after I ask these questions to you. But um David, which of these types, these types of these five types most really makes you think, hey, this is my own experience and why is that? I think for me, it would probably be type number three. Of course, I identify with all of them, but it says there's a type who always believes, keyword, that after being free, entirely free from alcohol for a period or whatever that may be, as Nikki said, thinking or whatever, that I can go ahead and do it again without any danger. And that is the most dangerous point for any addict that I've that I've met, that I've lived in my own experience. And it's easy to get comfortable in our recovery and our sobriety. And our book tells us, in fact, it's one of the only times the book says that it's easy. And it's on page 85 when it said it is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We're headed for trouble if we do this. And so this ties in with exactly what we're talking about right here. Because for me to believe, after being free for a period of time, that I can do this without danger, that means insanity has had to return to my life after being sober for a period of time. That, for me, is very important that I practice step 10, that I keep an eye on those thoughts, and that I turn to God, and that I share it with somebody else. And So for me, that is most definitely probably the most important one. I mean, they all are, of course, but... I don't ever want to fall into the belief that I can do anything like this ever again without any danger because my experience shows that that's BS and I'm headed for a heartache, not only for me, for a whole lot of others as well. So thanks for allowing me to answer that question. Yeah, thank you, David. I I appreciate that. And I really, well, I'm in the same boat and I'll share that here in a minute. Let's go to Nikki. Nikki, you talked about uh, entire abstinence there. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence and, and the process addictions. And you said, hey, first thought, I don't have control over that first thought. But what happens after that? I am constitutionally capable of being honest. So walk us through like kind of the the mechanics of that process you have after the first thought that you move so that you can practice honesty moving forward from that first thought. Tell us what that looks like. Well, that's a great question. And it's, it, we, I mean, we could just talk for hours on the mind. I mean, that's where it's all centering. And it it looks like this, Justin. It's like, okay, so if I can never think again, Nikki, what are you talking about? Because let's just all think about it. We're sitting here thinking. We're just going to sit and think and enjoy our thinking. That's called fantasy addiction for me. And it's called, you know, it's it's called future tripping for the young generation. And I'm just not allowed to do any of that. So my first thought, let's just say I need, I need him. I need her. I need my prime minister out of office so I can do what I need to do. Does that make sense? So first thought I need, I want, I have to have. Second thought is literally something out of the book. Now, mind you, Justin, I've been here 11 years, so it's now a working part of my mind. And, and, and I, and I'm only in the book, as I've told you guys many times, I'm supposed to be, I have a stack of other books, but I'm only in the big book. And so what does that look like? First thought, how about this? I'm no good. Mm. Second thought, 
I'm the intelligent agent, spearhead of God's ever advancing creation. First thought, I need. Second thought, is that helpful? See, is that helpful? Like, especially with food, let's just go there. You know, um, oh, I, I want that cookie. Second thought, is that helpful, Nikki? You know, I mean, it's that simple because the book all over, too many pages to list says this is simple, but not easy. So it's like, I can, because I've been programmed. See, I have been programmed to, as, as David said, believe. And then I think it was a few episodes ago, we talked about our ideals must be grounded in what the book says for me. I'm in a program with a book. So my first thought is, um, I can't do that. Second thought, God will do for me. You will know a new freedom and happiness. He is the father. You are the child. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love how you've incorporated just those, like you said, you are in the book. The 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 big the language of the big book just comes out as as a, a second nature. And you know, that takes a lot of practice. I mean, you've been in the rooms for 11 years. Thank you so much for sharing that. But I love the invitation to get right into that. Love it. All right. So one of my the thing that that really hit me from this reading is that I am the, the the type of addict that really hit me is the type three, just like what you said, David. And the the thought that hits me all the time that is a red flag moment is the thought, I got this. I can do this. It'll be different this time. I'm strong enough now. I ha- I'm armed with the facts and they're my it's my arms rather than, you know, God's arms, higher powers arms. No, it, anytime I start thinking that, I just have to put my head on a swivel and go, okay, what's going on? What's here? Because if I even sit and think on that for a few minutes, I get myself in trouble. Um, and and I I really that it'll be different this time. <laughs> I've been free for I've been I've been sober for over eight and a half years. It'll be different this time. Um, I'm actually going to share a personal experience just from today. I was at church today. And I was doing a little bit of stuff on a computer, doing some financial stuff there. And I clicked on a search bar on the side accidentally. And what popped up were several images that were out of nowhere, you know, out of nowhere. And there are images that I'm thinking, this is on a church computer. What the heck is this doing here? And I closed it out. These are images that for me are are toxic. I'm allergic to these types of things. And, uh, but it wasn't anything I sought out. It happened. I closed it down and I went to it, but it would have been, and I, and I went on to doing what I was doing. I talked to the person next to me and said, Hey, that was kind of strange that happened. And I just made it. So it wasn't a secret that I wasn't going to sit and dwell on, but had I not immediately had these thoughts of, of, Whoa, if I would have thought I got this, I can just close that down and move on and not say anything to anybody about it. It would just dwell on me and cause me all sorts of issues in the future. But now the thought is, okay, I don't got this. I need to make it uh, talk to somebody about it. And, and I'm doing that here too. Anyways, so now I want to move on to the next thing here. Um, so David, based on what we've discussed here, what's a takeaway you have from what we've talked about that uh, you can take away into your recovery and into your work with others? Well, again, Justin, thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Nikki, as well. It's always a, a pleasure for me to come here and, and to sit with you guys. And, you know, I, I, I guess the takeaway for me has to be the idea burned into me, as, as you spoke about with your experience, that I cannot start 
without developing this phenomenon. There's no way. I, I've tried many, many ways to prove this wrong, and it's never been wrong. And it's like Nikki says about the about her thinking, and and it is so true. I once watched a show, and, and a guy he was talking to his thoughts. Actually, they were talking to him. He was talking back. And at the end, he said this. He said, "I realize that I'm never going to be able to shut you up for as long as we ever live." I'll never be able to shut you up. He said, but you can bet your keister. And he said it in another way that we've had the last conversation we're ever going to have. And I thought that was so cool. I can't shut the thinking up when it comes, it comes, but I can damn sure be aware of it. And that awareness is the essence of a spiritual experience. And if I do not buy into that, like she said, if I don't take that drink with that thought, then that thought's not going to take me. So for me, it's about awareness. It's about everything that we've read here. I cannot start without developing this phenomenon of craving. If I have one thought that's toxic, like you said, Justin, and I let that go, then more coming, more coming, more coming pretty soon. They're too powerful. I can't, I, I don't have that power. Only my creator has that power. So that's my takeaway today. And, and I'm just grateful to be here with uh, the both of you. Thank you. And thank you, everyone who's listening out there. Hmm. David, thank you so much for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Good stuff. Nikki, how about you? What's a takeaway from our reading and our discussion today? Oh, just always my big takeaway is how much I love you guys. You know, how deep in love and the respect I have for men once again. This is what this program has done for me. You know, I hated men. Are you crazy? So that's number one always. But number two is this, when David emphasized, we have one symptom in common. Sometimes, you know, it's like, and that's why, you know, I'll be honest, sometimes I get a resentment. It's like A-A-C-A-N-A-S-L-A, all these different Al-Anon. We all have one symptom in common. Once we start, you know, you know, once, once we start, we develop that phenomenon of craving. And it doesn't matter what it is, everybody out there. It doesn't matter. You know, my addiction's worse than yours. My affliction's this. No, it doesn't matter because it's the first thought that leads us to the first action. So I'm just grateful to realize that uh, we all have one symptom in common. We cannot start thinking without developing the craving the phenomenon of craving. I'm just so grateful. Thank you guys. And thank you, Nikki. All right. My, my takeaway, I think I just got to go back to these, these red flag thoughts. Anytime I have the thought of, I got this, or I, I, I love that Nikki, you added these two to me that I hadn't ever really put together. I need, or I want, um, that's just me saying, Hey, things aren't what I want them to be. And I'm trying to be the director or, you know, I got this. I I am the director. I think that those are those are red flag thoughts that I just need to be hyper aware of in my own walk in my own recovery. Uh, thank you so much to both of you, David and Nikki, for for helping us walk through this and and seeing this. For all of you out there in the listening audience, thank you for joining with us. And to learn more about Rico Twelve and what we are doing and how you can support these projects, please go to Rico12.com. Uh, become a spearhead. Uh, support this uh, these projects financially. It really does help out as we strive to spread this message to more and more addicts out there who are suffering. 
Um, and to check out any of the other projects that David and Nikki are working on, check out the links in the show notes of the podcast and get into the work of and experience the miracles of recovery. Join us in the Fellowship of the Spirit as we trudge this adventurous and amazing road of happy destiny. It's really amazing. Come join with us. Work it. You are worth it.